Welcome to Holding Court, presented by the Ohio High School Basketball Coaches Association. Join hosts Adam Hall and Walt Serrato as they sit down with some of the biggest names in Ohio high school basketball and beyond. This show and all of our shows are available to listen to completely free anywhere that you can find podcasts. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's get to it. 36 years you can't remember a lot. uh, I mean, remember everything. But it's interesting when you talk to players that some of the stuff that they remember um, that that's made a difference for them with what what they've done. And you're like, I would have never even thought about that. So I guess that's that's one of the biggest things as you as a coach starts this season is that you uh, you really don't know uh, the impact that you have on kids many times until five or six years after they're out of out of school. So. Um, I guess the, the big thing is try to make that that influence as, as a positive influence as you can. Welcome to the Holding Court Podcast. It's Adam Hall here with my co-host, Walt Serrato. And tonight we are excited to be joined by Coach Joe Baylog, former head boys basketball coach at Ontario High School and current executive director for the Ohio High School Basketball Coaches Association. Coach Baylog, thank you for coming on tonight and welcome to the Holding Court Podcast. Thanks, guys. Excited to do this. So, Joe, uh, let's get started here. Just talk to us a little bit about your background in the game of basketball, how you got started, and where you're at today. Um, you know, I, I grew up grew up in a small town uh, in northwest Ohio called Edgerton, uh, which sits about um, 20 miles from the Michigan line, about six miles from uh, the Indiana line. So, uh, at that time, a small uh, Class A school. Um, you know, I had an older brother that uh, was pretty successful in basketball. I think he graduated in 1969, so, so I was like seven years behind him. So that kind of motiv- motivated me to uh, about playing the game. So um, just kind of grew up with a bunch of guys that loved playing basketball. It was before the time of, you know, having open gyms. So we had a kid that had a really nice court um, at his house. And uh, we played a lot of three on three games there. Um, so I uh, grew up there, played for a great guy named Ron Stevens, uh, just an enthusiastic high school coach that uh, really was an influence on me, uh, was an elementary teacher, basketball coach. So, you know, I went to college at Ohio Northern. That was my my career path was I was going to be an elementary teacher um, and try to coach high school basketball. So Went to Ohio Northern in uh, 1980, played there for two years, um, and then uh, was cut uh, my junior year. And then I don't know if Coach Doherty, Coach Campoli felt sorry for me, but they offered me a job as uh, being a student assistant, which pretty much was like being a manager my junior year. Um, And then um, my senior year, uh, Coach Campoli, who was the assistant at that time, was also an assistant football coach. So... Um, he was involved with football when we started basketball practice. So um, really, really got to experience the game with Coach Doherty, who um, had coached at Army uh, with Bob Knight before coming to Ohio Northern. Um, so um, actually was in the gym from probably 3 o'clock to about 7 o'clock every day because um, we would do the varsity guys, and then we had freshmen and, you know, a JV group at that time. Um, so we would do that afterwards because Coach Campoli was the guy that was supposed to run that. So um, yeah, that was a great experience. I mean, and and 
Coach Doherty and Coach Campoli, they were like polar opposites. Um, Coach Doherty, just an intense, kind of like a Bob Knight guy. Coach Campoli was kind of a joyful guy. And, you know, that was a great experience. Uh, graduated from Ohio Northern in 1984. We had some really successful years. Um, my senior year there, uh, we won the OAC um, and then got beat by Wittenberg in the NCAA regionals at Wittenberg. Um, but then the next two years after I had graduated, that was the two years that um, Ohio Northern played at West Virginia and lost, I think, by three over Christmas. And then in um, January, they went to Oklahoma and beat Oklahoma at Oklahoma. I think that was Billy Tubbs' first year. Um, and kind of a neat story with that, um, when I came here to Ontario my first year, I was an assistant, and we went to a clinic in in, in uh, Kentucky. I think it was in Lexington. Lexington, I don't know. I think it was in Louisville. And so the guy that was the head coach and I, we were sitting at the at the uh, bar lounge, and um, Billy Tubbs came in. And so we just started having a conversation, and he's like, "Hey, where are you guys from?" And and I said, "I said, well, I said we're from, you know, I'm from Ontario. We're coaching in Ontario." I said, "But you probably don't know what I want to know where I graduated from." And he goes, where'd you graduate from? And I said, Ohio Northern. And Billy Tubbs goes, that that team about cost me my job at, at Oklahoma. So um, that that was a kind of a, a neat story. So I, I graduated from Northern, um, took a job at Fort Lormie, um, uh in Shelby County, uh, which uh, at that time, you know, being a young guy, you didn't know about all the basketball across the state of Ohio. But, um, you know, Shelby County basketball is huge. Uh, most of those schools at that time did not have football. Um, so it was it was a lot of rivalries. I mean, I think the furthest trip we took in our league was to Jackson Center, which was probably 20 minutes away. Everything else was within five or 10 minutes. Um, so a great experience there uh, under a guy named George Hamlin. Um, was there for four years. And then, you know, my fourth year, I kind of started looking for, you know, head coaching jobs, had a couple interviews. Um and then uh, the guy that had hired me, the superintendent hired me at Fort Laramie was at Ontario. And um, he contacted me about coming here, um, that he had a, a teaching position open. And um, so my wife and I, we looked at that and uh, we decided to, to make that move. I mean, it was it was going to be uh, an assistance job. Um, but when I, I think the first day I interviewed here, the head coach um, had resigned. Um, so, you know, I kind of said, Hey, I'd be interested in the head job, but, but did not get it. Uh, they hired another guy and he was only there one year. And then, uh, in 1985, uh, was able to get the job as the head coach at Ontario high school. And, um, you know, was there for 30, 36 years, I believe. Um, uh, and just, just been a great run. Well, coach, I, I guess just talk to us a little bit. Um, you know, obviously you played in high school, in college, um, maybe talk about how your playing experiences maybe shaped the early years um, of your coaching or even after, as you said, you got cut from Ohio Northern, um, the experiences you had coaching um, under and learning from two really good coaches. How did that shape the start of your coaching career? Well, you know, growing growing up, as I mentioned at Edgerton, um, probably the, the guy that I idolized was John Havlicek. And um, uh, I just remember there was a story with John Havlicek that when John Havlicek was a kid that he did not have a bike. So 
in order for him to go places with his buddies, he always ran. Um, and they said that's why, I mean, maybe a lot of young guys probably don't know John Havlicek, but Havlicek was known for he just never stopped. He just always ran. So I grew up on a farm and, you know, you had chores to do in the morning. So I just remember in the morning I would always, that's what I always did, ran to the barn, ran back. You know, I was always trying to run to emulate him. Um, so so that was that was kind of an influence as, as far as, you know, when I started, uh, it, you know, as far as playing the game about that idea that hard work was always, you know, going to kind of pay off. Um, so then, you know, in high schools, I mentioned um, I played for a guy. He was hired, I think, my sophomore year, a guy named Ron Stevens, um, who who had a tremendous and tremendous influence on on my career. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's really the reason why I chose to go into teaching. And, you know, that relationship, you know, as I said, you know, when I played for him, he was my coach. But then after I got out of high school, he, he as the years went by, just became a, a great, great friend. Um, and he was one of those guys that, you know, you look back that he, he always, he continued to reach out to you even many years after, you know, you had played and, um, I would get phone calls from him, letters and notes from him, uh, usually throughout the season or at the beginning of the season. Um, but but I guess there's one note with him that stands out. Um, we had had a you know really good season, and I can't remember exactly what year it was, but the expectations were that you know we were going to make a big run in the tournament, and we didn't make the run. And um, I got a, a, a letter or a note from him a couple days afterwards, and talked about, you know, the disappointment and, and then at the end of the, at the end of the note, it said, just remember, keep your fork. And I was like, keep your fork. What does that mean? And, and then his, his note was, he goes, remember when you were sitting at the dinner table, if your mom said, keep your fork, you knew there was always something better coming. And he said, just remember, keep working hard because something better is always going to come. And, um, you know, that stuck with me for, for a long time. So, um, played for him, got the opportunity to go to High and Northern. Um, I had an uncle that had coached there uh, previous um, and kind of exposed me to High and Northern, um, you know, when I was in high school. Um, and then my senior year, prior to my senior year, I'd gone to camp there. Um, and they showed an interest in me and, you know, kind of being a high school player, you thought you were pretty good. And then you you get on there and you find there's 20 other guys that are pretty good too and, um, uh, played JVs for two years. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I think uh, my junior year I got cut. Um, but Coach Doherty, uh, you know, gave me an opportunity to to be, you know, still be part of the program. Which, you know, I love basketball and probably was the best thing as far as for me uh, coaching. So, as I mentioned earlier, Coach Doherty was a guy that um, just really, really intense. I mean, just um, he could put the fear of God in you at, at times. Um, and uh, I, I always remember, though, uh, especially my senior year, there were times at halftime, you know, we'd be talking and he'd look at me, and goes, Joe, don't. He said, don't don't get into this business because it'll it'll drive you crazy. Um, and then on the other 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 side of the coin, you had Coach Campoli, who was just kind of one of those guys that um, I, I just just remember Coach Doherty one day telling me, he goes, Joe, he said, I. I love I love Coach Campoli. He said because he just makes me laugh every day. And I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "He could be talking about the most serious thing." And he said, "I still laugh." And I think that mix of those two was 
was really something special um, because uh, Coach Campoli, I think, could ease maybe some of the tension that Coach Doherty had with players. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess the thing I probably learned from both of those guys was, you know, as I mentioned, Coach Doherty had, had coached with Coach Knight, so all those man-to-man principles were, you know, ingrained. And just that attitude of, you know, how tough could you be? And that, that was a big part of it. And then I think from Coach Campoli, um, you know, he became the head coach after Coach Doherty. And actually, I think his first year, he won the national championship in Division Three. And I think the thing from Coach Campoli that I learned was just the simplicity of offense. That, I mean, they ran – he ran a lot of flex offense at that time, but it was nothing very complicated. It wasn't a lot of sets. It was just kind of, you know, teach your players that, you know, the best players need to get the ball in their hands. And um, those those two guys were great influences. And, um, you know, again, uh, just like Coach Stevens, they, they've been a part of my life, you know, for many, many years. Uh, I've communicated to them, uh, have gone and visited Coach Doherty, at his home in Lexington, Kentucky, have stopped and visited Coach Campoli, and um, you know they're, they they've been been very very special. So um, that was kind of a the influences I got started, and then you know once I kind of got into coaching, um, I think you know at that era the Bob Knight influence of defense was a big thing. But um, another guy that probably had a really big influence on me that um, I just saw like at clinics, and then probably. You know, I think he ended up like with 28 videotapes um, was a guy named Don Meyer. He was, uh, I think, at Dave, a college called David Lipsicum. Um, but he his videotapes were just things that I kind of got engrossed into. And, and a lot of the philosophies, I guess the key word now today is culture that he tried to build with his programs um, were things that I tried to incorporate with what I wanted to do with coaching. So. Um, there, that was, that was a big, big influence as to far as how, you know, I developed a philosophy and that was, that was pretty key. You know, when I started looking for like head coaching jobs was, um, you know, the, coach Doherty kind of said, you need to have a philosophy of how you want to play. Um, and, and I wrote that down probably the year I graduated from Ohio Northern and it's, it's been in my coaching manual ever since it, you know, it might've been tweaked a little bit, but not very much was, you know, we were going to be really, really good at the defensive end. And at the offensive end, we were going to try to, you know, adjust to what our personnel was, but be pretty simple with what we did. Yeah. So coach, um, definitely want to get into the um, coach assistant coach relationship, as you alluded to observing um, when you were uh, in college. But before we do, um, 2005, you received the Bob Arnson Award, which is awarded to basketball coaches who have devoted 20 consecutive years or more uh, a service to the same school. Now you spent 36 years at Ontario and that type of longevity uh, at the same school is something that we're not seeing as much. And and personally, I believe it's becoming increasingly difficult um, to accomplish. You were able to do that and you were able to do it at a high level, winning 72% of your games how were you able to have that type of longevity at one school? I mean, I think, I think the first thing was I had great support from administration. Um, you know, we had, uh, you know, my, my first couple of years, I mean, we, I mean, we were successful. I think we won like 12 or 13 games, but then we had a year that we weren't very good. 
Um, and we, we kind of had to make a decision. We had, we had some seniors, um, that we were playing and, you know, we weren't, we weren't a very good team and, and we had a group of kids that were sophomores that were, were going to be pretty good. And, and we kind of made a decision about a third of the way into the year that, you know, we were going to give those sophomores the chance to, to play. And, and of course, some parents, you know, they were not very happy. Um, but, but our, our uh, administration never really budged. Uh, they were they were really supportive with the decisions we were going that we were making, um, and I just felt a lot of confidence that you know as long as we were trying to do things and do it in the right way that that we were gonna we were gonna be successful. Um, and then I think the other the other key part of it is you know speaking to that group uh, that would have been they would have graduated in 1990 when they were in junior high. Um, they just, they just had a passion for the game. So we would, we had a, uh, at that time, the guy was, uh, my JV coach, a guy named Ken Reinhardt was a guidance counselor at Ontario. And he, he, we had a group of teachers that would play before school, like on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays in the fall, and then in the spring. And so kids could come in and play while well, our junior high was probably, wow. Oh, and it's probably a quarter mile between a quarter and a half mile, maybe away from the high school, but with, you know, within walking distance and that group of kids, they would show up at six on Monday, Wednesdays or Fridays to play starting in seventh grade and showered and then walked to, to the middle school. So that kind of dedication, um, when we had started having success, um, it just kind of started snowballing that we had kids that, um, really believed in it. And then, um, you know, we had parents that supported what we did. Um, I mean, I don't, I'm sure there's not all the parents, you know, that, you know, were loved us, uh, but the majority of them, you know, they, they saw what we were doing and uh, believed in what we were doing. And then I think anytime you have success that, that just kind of continues to snowball. So we were very fortunate that with that kind of a support um, that we were able to kind of have the success that we had. Coach, I saw in um, a post-game interview, uh, towards the end of your coaching career, that your JV coach, and, and forgive me if I'm mispronouncing his name, is it Tim Hennig? Did I pronounce yep. that right? Tim Hennig, yep. Tim Hennig won over 400 games working on your staff as a JV coach, and that blew my mind. Can you can you talk about how that relationship over the years developed and, and how important it was for you as the varsity coach that when those players were ready to put on that varsity uniform for you, that they've experienced winning? at the lower levels? Well, I've had two, Tim, Tim's one guy and then another guy, actually, he, he played for me my first year um, when I was a head, my first year as a head coach, Carl Schnitke. Um, Carl's probably been there 20 plus years too. I, I guess um, when this was brought up, I, uh, I got to look at the total years to, to see because he's de deserving, I think, of the Arnsett Award too. Um but Tim came in um, as a teacher and just was one of those guys that came up and said, hey, I'd, I'd like to help. And so I think he just volunteered maybe at the junior high his first year, coached a couple of years at junior high, and then eventually became my JV coach. And, um, you know, again, I think going back to when I talked about Coach Campoli and Coach Doherty, I think guys like Tim and Carl were guys that, you know, um, when I – when I maybe didn't have the best relationship with the kid, 
or or a kid didn't really understand what we were doing, they they kind of had that that buffer that they could help with that. Um, and then then as as we built the program, um, I had a lot of I had several players that came back and coached, um, and I had two longtime guys at the junior high that had played for me, um, and both of them played on that 1990 team. Uh, that was our, the first undefeated team that we had had uh, in the regular season. Um, and that was uh, Scott Sauer and Andy Kurtz. And they were probably our junior high coaches for, boy, Scott was probably there 10 or 12 years. Andy might was probably there 15 plus years. So um, when you had players that had experienced it, could kind of tell the kids the stories of this is how it's done, um, it made my job so much easier. Um and, you know, of course, I think, as, as you mentioned, um, you know, winning's not everything at the junior high. It's, it's development. But when you're able to develop kids and also win, that winning culture continues to, to grow. And So in, in all the years you've been around and all the successes you've had, I'm curious, what's been the biggest change in the game of basketball you've seen stylistically from when you first started to where we are now? Is it a, is it a pace thing? Is it you know, where you see the emphasis of the offense going with defenses. What, what's the biggest change you've seen from the game as a whole stylistically? Well, I think the biggest change was the three-point line. I mean, I think that that changed the game tremendously. I mean, and, and for us, um, that, was, that was a big, a big um, I guess, plus for how we wanted to play in the early 90s. Um, we, we tried to really use the three-point line as a, as a weapon because um, we weren't um, like the, the 94, 95 team that got to Columbus was not a very big team. I mean, I think our tallest guy was six, two. Um, and we just really tried to kind of spread the floor. So I think that the three point line cha- has changed the game. And, and, you know, as you even take a look at today, it's changed it even more um, than it did it even in the nineties, just um, by how teams utilize that. And I think, I think over the past, you know, five to 10 years um, at all levels, it's it's become more of a, a positionless game. You don't necessarily have like a point guard, a shooting guard, a power forward, a center. Um, you, you know, you just try to space the floor. And you if you have a, you know, if you have a six, eight kid that can handle it, you kind of let him handle it. He doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, put inside where I think, you know, early in my career, um, you know, if a guy was six eight, he was gonna he was gonna play in the paint. Now, you know, you have those guys playing out all over the floor, and um, the skill level, the skill level, I think, um, it, it has improved in in some ways. But I just think the biggest probably difference in the game is the athleticism that you see in the game. Uh, I think kids are just they're bigger, stronger, quicker. Uh, maybe maybe not always as skilled, but I think sometimes, especially at the high school level. That athleticism can over can overcome a lot of the, the lack of development of skills in basketball. Joe, I'd like to go ahead and pivot um, a little bit and talk about a couple of the teams that you have had uh, over the years because you've had some pretty successful teams. So why don't why don't we just go ahead and start with that 1995 team? I know that was a a special group for you. Made an incredible run to Columbus. Talk to us a little bit about that season and your road to the Final Four. Um, 
I mean, I think coming into the year, our, our expectations were pretty high that we could be pretty good. But, um, you know, over the years, probably our biggest rivalry, you know, when we played there in the 90s was Winford. Um, and actually, you know, that season, Winford beat us twice during the regular season. Um, in fact, um, I think we had a chance to win win the league championship. Um, I'm trying to think how this – I think it went – I think we we um, we had a game rescheduled like in the middle of the week against Colonel Crawford, who was pretty good at that time too. Um, they beat us. Then we had to beat Winford to win win the league at Winford. We lost, um, and um, we got back. And my best player at that time was a kid named Brian Maloney. That um, you know we got off the bus, kid sent home, and we were supposed to play the next night. We're playing the next night against Madison and he came in and was just like coach he goes I he said I I, I suck I, I'm not I'm playing horrible you know and I was like you know Brian you just you know don't and we just kind of had to talk for like 15 minutes um, and the next night probably a, a biggest win that we had was uh, we beat Madison I mean he played well so um, we ended up and I think Winford Winford played a, a play-in game and then we we played Winford in the sectional final um and ended up and beat them like 76-57. Um and uh um it was kind of interesting as as Rob Sheldon was a great friend, but he just kind of said, you know, Joe, he goes, You guys played like you you should have played, you know, against us the first two times. But um kind of an interesting story with that though, too, um, is I had a I had a, I have a, well, I have four sisters, three brothers. Um, and I had a sister, my sister, Kathy, uh, um, her name's Kathy Stotes now, but she, um, she would follow us all year and would call. And she had a, this thing that year that, you know, if she, if she found a penny, a heads up penny, that it was good luck. And so she would always mention something this. So somehow, I don't know if I shared a letter with their players or something, but in the Winford game, we're, we start the game in the, in the sectional tournament. And um, all of a sudden, like two minutes into the game, the official stops the game because he said there, there was like five or six pennies on the floor. And I was like, who the hell's throwing pennies? Well, here's what, what happened was our players had taken and stuck, had, if they had found a, like a penny in the hallway at school that day, they took it and they stuck it like in the shoelace of their shoe for good luck. And a couple of them, a couple of them, you know, the, the penny came out because after the game, I said something and they were like, uh, coach, we, that was us. We, we had them stuck in our shoe and, and it came out. Um, so, um, you know, that, that's that year. So we beat Winford in the, in the sectional. And then um, we had a double overtime game against Clear Fork in the district uh, district final at Ashland, which, um, you know, Ashland at that time would seat about 2,400 people. Um, and it was packed. Um, uh, so we win the district, uh, we get to the regional, um, and we played, uh, we played cold water in the opening game. Um, and then, uh, if we won that, we were probably going to play Delta who the year before Delta had beaten us in the, uh, in the regional and, and just crushed us. Um, but we had a kid named Ben Shoemaker, um, who unbelievably, uh, made like made over a hundred threes that year. Um, and he he had I think against uh, Coldwater I think he had seven threes, um, and against Delta I think he had six. Um, and the Delta game was just um, 
you know, they pretty much had everybody back from the year before. We had everybody back. They had added a point guard from, I think, SWAT, and that was really good. Um, but it was one of those games where, you know, you as a coach, you put a game plan together, and uh, I think we were up like 20 to 5 at the end of the first quarter, and, um, you know, we're able to get to, um, able to, get to Columbus. Um, so we get to Columbus, uh, and we're going to play Orville. We're going to play Orville uh, the, the last game on Thursday night. Um, so, you know, in 1995, I'd been to the state tournament, you know, in high school, uh, and as a coach I'm every year. And, you know, usually as you get to state tournament, there's one of those games where you're kind of like, how the hell did that team, you know, get to Columbus? Cause they just, you know, they didn't play well. So as we're preparing for Oroville, I was like to our coaches, he said, man, he said, if, if we, if we play poorly and Oroville plays well, we're going to be that team. We're going to be that team that everybody's going to go, how the heck did they get to get to get here? Um, so as it turns out, uh, you know, we played really well. Um, and, and Orville probably didn't play their best game. Uh, we actually had the lead late in the game, uh, turned it over. They tied it. And I think I think we got beat in, in, uh, in double overtime um, by Steve Smith, you know, coaching legend at, at Orville. Um, and so I just remember – uh, when I got when when I went to the game when when I was preparing for that week, somebody told me they said, "Joe, just make sure, you know, when you go out, just look, look around and see." And at that time, you know, it was a sold out, so there were thirteen thousand plus at St. John's Arena for the game. Um, so I remember we lose, and, um, and and I'm walking off the floor, and I'm just looking, um, and I'm like, you know, I, I don't I don't feel so bad because we, we you know we played about as well as we could. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we're going to be okay, but kind of the neat story to that was, you know, we, at that time, the state provided you rooms like for three nights, they just, they just provided. So you could use them or you couldn't use them. So we told our kids prior to going down that, Hey, we're going to, we're going to play Thursday. We're going to play this game. And when we win, we're coming home. We're going to come home. You're going to sleep in your bed. And then we're going to we'll, we'll let you sleep in. You won't have to come to school in the morning and, and we'll practice Friday. Um, and then we'll we'll go back down Saturday because I think we would have been. Well, we might have planned to go back Friday night, but I don't know if we were going to be the first or second game. We were I think we'd have been the, the second game of the, of the final. Um, so so that's before cell phones or anything. So the neat thing was, you know, we, we lose. And now we said, well, we're just going to stay and enjoy the weekend. Well, none of the kids had any any clothes or anything, so they're they're getting to the hotel, calling the parents. Hey, I need this. I need this. I need this. Um, but but the other part of the story is the, the Brian Maloney, the kid that I said, uh, you know, was a all Ohio player. He had like thirty six that game, um, and uh, you know, we got to the locker room and you know, kids were crying. Everybody was crying. Um, so we took our time. So, you know, by the time you get to the hotel, it's probably 11 o'clock and, you know, he's still crying. He's just crying. And so I just remember I, I had a room by myself. I pulled him in the room. I said, hey, man, Brian, I said, you, you just got to let this go. I said, man, you, you played one of the best games that anybody's played in St. John Arena. And, and I said, you know, you, you, you know, we can't really do anything else. And he just looked at me and, and uh, he just put his put his fingers up uh, about an inch apart. He goes, coach, we're this close. And he walked out of my room. And so I remember I lay down in bed and I don't think I slept hardly at all because I, he, I was like, he's right. We're this close. 
2001, uh, that team you had, I think, um, in talking to you, uh, you knew that team had an opportunity to be special. Um, and, and so talk about that team a little bit, but also share kind of the unique experience you had going up against LeBron uh, in the preseason. Yeah, so so that that team uh, actually in 2000, um, we, had, we had gotten to the regional and got beat by Lionel Central Catholic. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure that might have been Bob Sagerson's year that he he ended up and won. I think it was maybe his last year that he coached, and he won the state his he won a state his state championship, and they had been there several years. We, we so we got beaten double overtime. So um, you know we had a lot of guys coming back the next year. Um, so you know as as coaches you're, you try to you know the the preseason you're trying to to put together a scrimmage schedule that's really going to test your kids. So. Um, at that time, Keith Dambrot was the head coach at Akron St. Vincent St. Mary's. And, and I got to know coach Dambrot a little bit because he had coached at, um, well, I guess maybe he coached at Ashland after that. Um, but, um, we had, a, I, I had met him somewhere. So actually I think it was, uh, we went up on a Saturday. I think it was, uh, us and Worcester, um, cause Mark Alberts was the coach at Worcester. Um, and so it was us three teams. So, um, uh, fortunately for us, LeBron was a sophomore and, and he was still kind of a skinny, scrawny kid. And I think if you take a look back at his pictures, when he became a junior, he became a man. Um, so we, I think we played him three quarters. Um, I think they beat us one, we beat them one, and maybe we tied another one. Um, but I just remember after the, the scrimmage, uh, Coach Dambrock came up and he goes, he goes, man, Joe, he goes, this was really good for us. And, and I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, he goes, because he goes, you guys, you guys beat on him. You guys beat on LeBron a little bit. And, and he goes, you know, nobody's really done that. Um, uh, so, so that was kind of a neat experience. So, so we were, you know, we were really good that year. Um, we lost two games. You got beat in the regular season uh, at Willard. Um, Benji Hall, who, who was, our all Ohio player that year um, had uh, gotten sick after a game the night before and wasn't able to play. Um, and so, uh, you know, a typical matchup, uh, we, um, we match up with uh, Winford in the district finals and we had beaten, we had beaten Winford both times that year. In fact, um, this is, this is kind of a goofy story too. Um, prior, whatever, whatever it be like five or six years prior, Winford had beaten us like 13 times in a row. Um, and we had a kid make a, uh, like a Leitner shot at our place. And I think it was triple overtime to beat them. So then we went on a 13 game string that we beat Winford. Um, and so, uh, you know, we were, you know, we were anticipating that, you know, we were going to get out of the district. Um, and, uh, they had some guys hit some shots in the fourth quarter and uh, we ended up and uh, it's like, uh, I think we uh, were tied. Benji Hall got fouled, misses the first free throw, makes the second. We go up one with like 1.6 and, uh, and they throw a, a pass to the half court line to their all Ohio player, a kid named Matt Slate. Um, and it kind of got tipped and he just kind of turned and threw a hook shot and went in at the buzzer. Um, and probably, 
I said, told somebody, I said, looking back at, it, I think I was in depression for about six weeks after that. Um, but it was just, it was just a tough loss. And then the, the, the kind of the tough part of it was um, that the next week, like on Monday, I think I had a call from Keith Dambrot and he goes, Hey, he goes, uh, you know, sorry about your loss. He goes, um, and he goes, I know this isn't going to make you feel any better. He goes, but to be honest with you, he goes, if, if there's one team that I think could maybe beat us in the state tournament, it would have been you guys. And, you know, you're kind of like thankful, but sorry, we're, we're not going to be there. So, uh, you know, that, that was, that was one of the, you know, you, they say you remember a lot of games. That's, that's a game that, you know, forever sticks in, uh, in your crawl a little bit. And in fact, um, I think, I think maybe I watched it once to, to do final stats on it. Um, and then during the pandemic, when the pandemic started, we have a local TV station that, uh, uh, you know, covers games and, uh, they started showing games from the past. And, um, one week they showed, uh, when Clear Fork had won the state and, uh, for some reason, the the guy, the sports guy, Jeff Allen, called me and said, hey, I want to do an interview. And I was like, well, what are you going to talk about? He said, it's the pandemic. And he goes, well, we'll talk about something. So we were at the gym and he talked. I go, hey, that was pretty neat. You guys were showing those games. He goes, uh, well, you're probably not going to like the game we have this week. And I said, why is that? He goes, because it's the half-court hook, hook shot game. And uh, so I ended up and I watched it. And, uh, and the one thing I, I did do is uh, I think Benji had – Benji Hall had like 36 or something. He was just phenomenal. And I remember I, I sent him a text and I said, Hey man, I said, I, I forgot how, how great you were in this game. And his response was coach. He goes, if I would have made the free throws, he goes, we would have been in Columbus. So, um, you know, those, those are special moments when you have players like that. Absolutely. Coach. And, uh, the last team I want to talk to you a little bit about, uh, is the team you had in, um, 2014. And, you know, I, I think I've heard you talk about it before. I, I know we do um, in our program that basketball um, can teach you so many different life lessons with the highs and the lows and, and the ups and the downs. And, you know, you look at you look at even at the college level, a team like Virginia, you know, I, I go back to 2018 when they lost to UMBC in the first round, the first one seed to ever be beat by a 16 seed. And, um, Tony Bennett's a coach that I have a lot of respect for. I know a lot of people do, but, you know, he made the comment at the end of the game that anytime you step foot in that arena, you know, you got to be able to take the good with the bad. And and listening to you talk about that team, uh, it seems like there were a lot of life lessons you were able to take from that season. And so um, take us back to that season that journey, some of those highs and lows. Well, that again, I, I mean, the, you know, it's kind of interesting because teams usually build on each other. So we were, we were pretty good the year before and had a lot of those kids back um, and had, um, you know, a couple of really good guards um, and, and just some kids that were really athletic. Um, so, so, you know, the highlight of that season was, you know, uh, Norwalk um, had been really, really good for the, two or three seasons prior to that. Um, I'm not sure what their winning streak was. It might've been 50 some games, um, but we had a game with them. Uh, we had it scheduled uh, and it, first game got snowed out. I think it got snowed out again. And then, and then we played, I think like in the middle of January, I believe it was on a Tuesday night. Um, and I think on Monday, the polls came out and Norwalk was number one and we were number two. And it was just one of those nights where anybody that loved basketball was coming to it. And our, the gym was just packed. Um, and we were, you know, Norwalk at that time was, was pressing and, 
And, uh, you know, we just, we were kind of like, we hope they press because we had, we had one guard that was just really, really quick, a kid named Linnell Shelby that um, I, I still remember uh, I, we were working on, I don't know if it was that before that game, but it was sometime during his career that we were working on press break. And, you know, you try to tell guys, Hey, stay out, stay away from the baseline, stay out of the corners. And so I remember during practice the one day, Carl Schnitke, my assistant, he kind of came over and he goes, you know, Joe, he goes, um, you, you, you might just want to tell Linnell to catch it wherever he wants. I go, what do you mean? He goes, he goes, if he catches along the baseline, he goes, there's nobody that we play that's quick enough. That's going to stop him. And so that was kind of our rule with press break was, put it in Linnell's hands and let him go. And, you know, we, we got off to a great start against uh, Norwalk, um, held him off at the end and won. Um, and I still remember the next day, uh, another guard, Tyler Boatwright, uh, he came up to my room during first period and came into my office and said, just sit down. I go, you know, what's up? He goes, coach, he goes, that's the most fun I've ever had in my life. <laughs> he goes, it was the, the most fun. He goes, that crowd was unbelievable. Um, so, you know, we had that high and then, you know, we ended up, we had to play Norwalk the last game of the regular season. Um, so we go to Norwalk packed house playing for the league, league championship. Um, you know, if we win, we win it outright. Uh, if they win, we tie, um, they beat us. Um, and then I don't know if we, if we just didn't do a good job of getting our kids ready, but we play, we play Lex in the sectional final, um, and Ontario versus Lexington's a, huge rivalry game um and we did not play very well um and just we couldn't get over the hump um so so we get knocked out of the tournament you know first game um uh so you know the the life lesson there is um you know we always talk you're going to face adversity i I, i've said this for many years to our teams you're going to face adversity um could be the first week of the season it could be the middle of the season in this case you know, it was the very end of the season. Um, but our kids handle it with a lot of class. I think they look back and, you know, they have, they have some great experiences that have gone on. Um, but, you know, those those losses like that, they hurt because you want your kids to to be able to have that opportunity. And the opportunity would have been to, you know, play, hopefully play Norwalk in the district final. So, Coach, uh, you've talked about some special teams, some special players. Uh, could you just share with our listeners kind of what made your best special start with players and then teams well i, th- I think it kind of goes goes hand in hand as far as, as players and teams i think i think number one with with players um it's just um you you can't replace hard work you you can't you know um and, and i don't know exactly what the measuring stick of that is is um but our big emphasis was um you know we would we would um you know when the season ended we always had, you know, we would uh, a couple weeks after the season, we I would sit down with every player, freshman through, uh, you know, juniors that you know our juniors, um, and you know I even I talked to our seniors too to get their 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 feelings about anything we should do different, um, but sat down with them and kind of said, hey, this is this is where we see you, this is what we think you need to do. So, you know, we would do our stuff, you know, in uh, you know shooting, you know, in the morning in May, and then you know, do our camps and, you know, shootouts and open gyms in June. And, and then basically, um, you know, July and August were those months were like, Hey, you, you got to show us if you're going to get better. Um, so, um, 
the big thing was that idea that you you've got to you've got to work at it. Um, uh, and and we had players that you know that really bought into that. Uh, you know, I, I, a couple examples. Um, you know, I had a kid named Mark Reinhardt who now is a head coach at Harrison High School in West Lafayette, Indiana, and, and uh, he graduated in uh, I think he graduated in '94. Yeah, with the year before he went to the state. Um, but I remember um, somebody coming to me and they go, uh, you know, coach, how do you think you're going to be? And I said, well, you know, I, we think we could be okay. He goes, well, I think you're going to be pretty good. I go, why is that? He goes, because I just drove by the Reinhardts today. And he goes, it was, you know, it was a day like today, you know, it's 90 some degrees. And he goes, Mark was out there in the driveway working. Um, you know, another story was the Maloney kid uh, one day uh, said, hey, coach, he said, uh, I, I would like to get in the gym to shoot. I said, well, just, I said, you know, Brian, I got to watch my kids right now. I said, you can just come over to my house and, you know, I'll give you my key and you can go in and, um, you know, but bring it back. Uh, you know, he went in, came back, brought the key back. A couple of weeks later, um, I have a custodian call me at night and goes, hey, um, there's a kid in the gym. It's like 930. He goes, there's a kid in the gym. Um, and he said that you let him in. And I said, well, who is it? He goes, well, he said his name's Brian Maloney. I said, yeah, I, I let him in. So the next day of school, I go, hey, um, how did you get in? He goes, well, you know, you gave me that key a few weeks ago. I said, yeah, he goes, I went and made a copy. <laughs> so so those are the kind of kids, I think. And, and you know, when you, you know, you're not going to have a, a team of those. But if you have, you know, one, two or three of those guys, that makes a difference. Um, and I think the big the other big team, the other thing as far as, you know, talking about your teams, I think. The, the big thing with why our teams were successful is just because they were unselfish. Um, they, they didn't, you know, we didn't have guys concerned about the number of shots they got, number of points that they got uh, on those good teams. They, they just, they just cared about winning. And, and I think, you know, it kind of goes, I think Tom Izzo uses this is, is, is if you have a player coach team, that's when you know you're going to be successful. And we had, you know, those the years that we've been successful, we've had players that have taken care of a lot of maybe the smaller issues with uh, things that I mentioned, like somebody complaining about they didn't get enough shots that they took care of that before it even got to got to us. Um, so uh, I think that's that's one of the big things is is you you try to I mean, one of the things we tried to do every year was was with our seniors was to get them to understand this is your year. And and you you got to kind of make it make it what you you want it to be. So the, the the part was if they knew there was a freshman or a sophomore that could help them, then they needed to get that kid in with them. And I think um, when we've had really good teams, there hasn't been any kind of animosity among players. It's been like, hey, um, if Jimmy's the sophomore is better than Joey, the, the senior, we're we're banking on Jimmy to be the guy that we want to be with. So, Coach. I I want to talk, you had a very special opportunity uh, or a privilege, you could call it, to, to coach both of your sons. So Steve graduated in 2007 and Blake in 2013. Tell us a little bit about that experience and, and that unique situation of being coach and dad at the same time. Well, you know, one of the, one of the things that happened when I was, when I was a really young coach, um, we were at, we were at the clinic, which at that time I think was held on Friday at St. John Arena. Um, I think it was maybe it was maybe it was a Thursday night and Friday. I think that's what it was. And then they had a you know they had a social at the uh, 
um, the field house right beside St. John's. And I remember there was a friend of mine, Denny Bartlett. We were sitting at a table, and, and I think it was Gene Amoretti, I think I, if I pronounce his right, uh, from Bel Air, uh, who ended up was a Hall of Fame coach. Um, and he was talking. We were just started talking, and, and something came up about, you know, if you, if you had kids that played for you, and at that time my kids were just, they were really, really little. And, uh, and the guy said something to Gene, and, and Gene goes, yeah. He goes, he goes uh, my, my kids played for me. And, uh, and he goes, in fact, he goes, uh, basically he, he had a good team, and he had a, a kid like that was a junior um, that was like the point guard. And, uh, and so I think like that year, he started playing like at a shooting guard. And, and the kid's dad came in and said, hey, coach, he goes, I'm just, I'm not really complaining. He goes, but I'm just wondering, you know, he, he's been our point guard for two years and you're, you're playing off the ball now this year. And Gene's response was, he goes, well, he said, I'm just helping your kid. And dad was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, I'm going to help him that he's going to get playing time next year. And he's like, I don't understand what you're saying. He goes, well, see, my son's an eighth grader. He's going to be a freshman. He's a point guard. And he's going to play point guard next year. So he said, if your son was going to play point guard next year, he goes, he wouldn't get as much playing time. <laughs> I don't think I went to that extreme with my kids. But um, the special part, you know, of coaching your sons is, is I didn't coach I didn't coach them like in Little League Baseball or anything like that because the one thing I, I, I wanted them to do is experience – other coaches and and my thing was I was going to get the opportunity to coach them, you know, when they came to high school and uh, you know fortunately I think you know, I think their experience was was good. Um, I'm sure they probably had to deal with some issues of being the coach's son, but I think overall um, they had pretty good relationships with the guys on the team and and guys respected. Um, and I think the other thing you know you mentioned was you know that relationship of coach and dad. I I think one of the things I tried to do was make sure when I came home, I was dad. So we had very few discussions at home, you know, about any games, practice performance, anything like that. Um, I tried to make sure with, you know, when we left the gym that that stuff stayed there and didn't come home and you'd have to ask them, but I think they, I think they both enjoyed the experience of playing for their dad. So Joe, I had the, um, I had the opportunity to travel to Indianapolis with you um, a couple of weeks ago as, as we attended the, National High School Basketball Coaches Association summer meetings and um, many different topics were discussed, including uh, the current state of our game. And I was just wondering, you know, as the executive director of the Ohio High School Basketball Coaches Association, um, from from your perspective, what are the current issues that are facing our game, uh, both at the state and national level, and what is being done or needs to be done to address those issues? Well, I think the big issue is um, I think that you hear from almost every state is is uh, is the transfers, the number of transfers that high schools are having. I mean, if we if we take a look at at Ohio high school basketball, almost every team that's in the Final Four has somebody that's transferred in, um, and I'm not really sure. I think I think some the, the rule change we had a couple of years ago where. If a kid transferred um, and it wasn't whatever a, an approved transfer, um, that instead of sitting out the first ten games or the first eleven games, now they would have to sit out the, the second half of the season, and then they they couldn't play in the postseason tournament. I think that's helped some, but 
you know, with, with any kind of rule, they, they kind of vent that. Um, so, so I think that's, that's a big issue. Cause I think the, the part that you're starting to see now is, um, uh, you know, you have kids that play on a club team together and suddenly they're, they're playing on a high school team together. I just think that's, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it just doesn't seem like it's, it's, it's fair. And I'm not sure what, what we really can do to, to solve that. But I think that's, that continues to be an issue because I think one of the things that we've lost from the high school experience is that part of playing, you know, growing up in your community and playing for that, that team that you've grown up with. Um, and I think that's one of the issues that we've had, you know, with the state tournament is that a reason why attendance has dropped because um, I don't know, maybe there's not that ownership among the fans in the school of, of those guys being our guys. Um, so I, I think that's, that's probably the, the biggest issue. Um, I think, you know, the d- discussion of, of, you know, will high school sports still be around or is it, is it going to end up in B clubs? Because, you hear all the states also talk about these, you know, kind of elite uh, basketball academies that kids are now going to that, um, you know, they play on ESPN, they play nationally, um, and those guys are trying to develop their game, one, to get get a better scholarship, and, and probably more importantly, a lot of those guys are looking at that that's kind of the road to get to the NBA at, at a much quicker time. So, um my concern, and I think Tom Barrick and I discussed this, was, you know, our our idea, uh, Tom's idea of how we grew up of high school basketball. I don't know if it's ever going to get back to that. Uh, I, I don't I don't know. And and I think, you know, the lessons that you know we've discussed in this podcast so far of things that kids learn by dealing with adversity, dealing with loss, how to deal with a success. Those are valuable lessons that apply to many other things that maybe are not as important as basketball later in life. But you kind of look back at your experience, you know, in basketball or sports in general and go, man, remember when, you know, this happened and how did I handle that? You know, I can I can handle this other situation. So um, I think those are some big, big issues that that we're trying to deal with in the game of basketball. So, Coach, now that you've had some time to to step away from the game and, and, and look back, reflect on your career. Uh, what will you miss the most about coaching and, and what will you miss maybe the least? I mean, the, the, probably the thing I miss the least is, is, uh, is just um, that feeling before a game. Um, and I don't, I don't really, it didn't really matter who we were playing. If we were playing Norwalk or if we were playing, you know, the, the worst team in our league, there was always kind of that sick feeling you had in your stomach. Uh, before a game, and I don't know if that's just unique for me as a coach, uh, but 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 I didn't miss that. Um, uh, I mean, things that I probably missed the most was was I loved to prepare for games. Um, you know, I loved um, I loved I loved watching film. Uh, I loved that idea of you know on Sunday Sundays and early you know through the day on Monday of you know putting your your practice and game plans. Uh, together for the week and then just kind of seeing if that was going to work out. Um, the other part that I think I miss will is, has been um, just relationships with coaches um, kind of that weekly um, weekly talk, you know, with, uh, you know, coaches that you, you know, were close to, I mean, like, um, you know, Rob Sheldon at Winford was a, was a true mentor to me. Um, he was a guy that would 
call me every week and you know we would just we would just talk he was a guy that i remember at that time you know we didn't have huddle or you know you you drove and traded tapes and i remember one day i drove over to his place and he goes hey man you got to put this set in for benji and i was like what do you mean he goes this you got to put this in for him and it was the set he ran and and then we play them and we're running the set against him so um it was that you know and and just the the um the relationships, you know, Steve Gray at Norwalks, we've been really, really close. Um, just, you know, the, the the talk that we've had for, you know, with over the years of just talking about our players and, and our teams. Um, and I think that's that's one of the things growing up in the era that I did as a coach. You know, we did the we did the camps. We didn't have team camps. But, you know, I worked like Ohio Northern Camp for years when I was out of college. But then later on, I worked at Worcester probably, you know, like 15 years. And, you know, those were camps that you showed up on Sunday and either ended on Thursday or Friday. So um, but the, the fun part of that was just the exchange of ideas that you had, you know, at those camps. Um, so, so you know, the, even though those were some long weeks, those are things you look back on that were really special in growing up in the coaching profession. So, Coach, now we'd like to transition to, to a segment that we call Triple Threat. We're going to give you three topics and let you share your thoughts, ideas, experiences, and or suggestions uh, with our listeners. Uh, the first is the importance of team building both in season and out of season. I mean, one of the things <clears throat> as I went on in my coaching career, I think every year when I evaluated myself, my thing was to try to talk to my players more, not just about basketball, but to try to see them in the hallway um, and just to kind of see how they were doing. That was, I always felt like I never, I never did enough of that. Um, and that was, you know, like, you know, between players, your best player to your worst player was to, to try to let them know that, Hey, you, you cared about them as, as a person. I think, I think that was really, really important. And I think that's, that's part of a of, of team building because, um, if a kid feels like, Hey, he's important, even if, he's not a guy that's getting 20 minutes a night, then, um, you know, that really, really helps your team. You know, we, we, we did the, the summer camp thing early in my coaching career. Um, when, when Bob Huggins was at Cincinnati, we, we usually went there and, and probably that might've been like a 10 year run. Um, because the thing that we loved about that was we took, um, our freshman team through our varsity team and, um, and they had a thing with their schedule. You could have like two freshman teams. You could have two JV teams. There was a lower varsity and upper varsity. So we usually had at least one team in each of each one of those upper varsity, lower varsity. Sometimes we maybe had two JV teams. So kids were playing, you know, five or six uh, games in a day. For us as a coaching staff, it was basically, you know, when we started playing at eight, you were in there from eight, eight in the morning till night at night. But the really good thing about that was, number one, a lot of our younger kids got to see our older guys play. So, so you know, they were getting the idea of this is how it was going to have to happen. The other neat part was our older guys would watch some of our younger guys play. And, you know, if they saw something that, um, that uh, you know, they were like, uh, they would grab them like, you know, that's probably not going to work with Coach Baylog. Um, so there was that that kind of give and take. So the, the one problem we we had after that was there were two things that kind of happened. One, the, 
Cincinnati camp ended and we we couldn't really find that camp that you could take everybody to. And now I think, you know, Eastern Ohio is one that you can do that. Uh, and then the, the other part was, you know, we had some failed levies. So we had a year where it was going to cost kids like $300, you know, per sport with no, no cap. So if a kid played three sports, that was going to be $900. So, so we kind of got away from the camp thing. And, and what we ended up and did probably my last 10 years is we would always take our varsity kids at, it, um, at Denison. It was called the Central Ohio Shootout. Um, and we would go there like Thursday and Friday. You played, you played three games on Thursday, three on Friday. And for us, it was always against like, uh, you know, Columbus schools, uh, Cincinnati schools, uh, schools that were always bigger than us. And we would always we would stay overnight. Um, and then the other thing that we, we did during, as far as d- for the season with our scrimmage, usually our, our last scrimmage, um, for the past six or seven years, we went to Brexville and we would, we would practice on Friday after school, go up Friday night. And then we kind of a- assigned our, that's kind of where we gave the ownership to our seniors was, um, they, they had to kind of come up with, we called them, we, we stole this from coach Jasheski when he had the Olympic team was, not necessarily like goals because, you know, your goals are always like to win the league, win the district, but it was to come up with standards of play. Like these, these are the things that we're going to, you know, these, these things are going to be the 11, whatever, however many it was, 11 things that we're going to put on the stamp on. And, and if we do these things on a daily basis, then all those other things should happen. So probably my past last 10 years, that became a big thing that, um, that we would just we would get our players pizza and they would they would go to the room and uh, as coaches we went out um, and got something to eat and uh, when we came back our seniors handed us the list of coach these are our standards and then you know we we typed them up had them on a put them on a nice whatever piece of paper that they were going to put into their their scouting notebook and then uh, probably the past five years I had a guy that you know put them on a big board uh, that we put up in our locker room and. And so a lot of times if, you know, when you face that adversity, we we would point at one of those standards on the on the wall that, you know, hey, are we, are we meeting this standard? And that that was that was huge. I, I think that's that's one of the best team building activities that we we probably have ever done. Coach, that's good stuff right there. Um, we talked a little bit about about your coaching staff and, and the mm-hmm. longevity of, of some of your your coaching staff and, and how important that is to the overall success um, of a program. So I guess the next question in our triple threat series would be, how did you go about building a coaching staff? More specifically, what were you looking for in your assistant coaches when you were bringing them on your staff? Well, you know, when I got to Ontario, I mean, one of the, one of the big changes that we kind of had to make was, was our, the coaches that we had at the, at the junior high level. I mean, they were, they were great guys, good guys, but um, they just, I don't know. They didn't have the same passion for the game that that I had, and um, we just didn't think that we were getting a skill development. So probably the hard part was, you know, trying to convince those guys that, um, you know, uh, I wanted to find somebody else without, you know, burning that bridge. And we we were kind of able to, to do that. So I, I think I think the big thing is, is you start. Um, you gotta you gotta have guys understand that coaching basketball is much more than showing up when November first starts and you know coaching the X and O's during the season. I, I think a, a big part, and you go back to that 
that team building thing is, you know, the stuff you do in the summer, like in the weight room, um, you know, I'm not going to say I was there a hundred percent of the time, but I'm going to say probably 95% of the time if we were weightlifting, I was there because I thought it was important that those kids see my face that, you know, I'm not just showing up for, you know, the fun stuff that, that this is stuff that whatever it was at six or seven in the morning in the summer that, you know, that this is why we do this. Um, so you gotta, you gotta find guys that are, they're going to be loyal and, and, and do that. And then, um, I think the other the other part um, is you you want you want coaches that are loyal, but you also want coaches that that are not going to be afraid to tell you something that you don't want to hear. And, and I there's a couple of examples. I had a guy named Mike Ham that coached with me for years, and I remember I remember like we would do ball handling or and, and we would the kids would make mistakes and I would get really I would you know I would really get kind of upset and I remember after practice one day Mike goes why Joe why do you why do you get so mad and I was like what do you mean like I said they're not doing it right he goes well that's why we practice he goes if they don't if they don't try to 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 do it at a faster pace he said they're not going to improve and and that really stuck with me for many many years was and I think the term everybody uses now is you got to get kids out of their comfort zone so so that was kind of one of the things that, you know, kind of stuck with me is that, you know, don't, you know, there, there's certain things you can get on the kids about, but if a kid's trying to do something uh, at a faster pace or, or do it harder than he normally does it, that that's probably a good thing. And then, um, you know, I had a guy on my staff as I ended my career, Nate Henderson, that he was just, he was one of those guys that, um, that just told it as he thought it was. And, and there were some times in our locker room or in our coach's office after practice, after a game, he said some things that, you know, that, you know, I probably wasn't real happy with. But I, I like the next day, I, would, I told him, I said, man, I, I said, Nate, thanks. I said, I don't necessarily agree with you, but I said, that's stuff that I need to hear. So I think you got to have guys that are loyal, but I also think you got to have find those people, too, that that aren't going to be afraid to to kind of state their opinion. Um because as an, as an assistant, I think your job is to help your coach, you know, be better. Um, and I think as you, long as you're doing that behind closed doors and not doing it in front of kids, um, I think that makes your staff a lot better. Thank you, Coach, for that. Uh, finally, you talked about earlier in the show how much you enjoyed the preparation piece. Um, and one of the things that, that you'll really miss about, about coaching. So I'm just kind of curious, when you went about developing a practice plan, um, you know, what were the key components to your plan? Did you have a, a certain order that, that you did things in uh, on a daily basis? Uh, it just basically, how do you develop, how did you develop an effective and efficient practice plan? Well, this this goes back to, to my days at Ohio Northern was that, um, you know, Coach Doherty, he had a, a scripted plan of, you know, at three, from three, three o'clock to 310, it was whatever, warm up and stretching. Um, and it was, it was broke down like, you know, by the minute. Um, and, and I think, you know, one of the things I, I learned from was that, you know, sometimes in coaches, it, it works either way, but for me, um, was, was sticking to that plan. So one of the things we, we do with our practice was, was we, we put it on a, on the clock. And, and the, the good thing is when we had, you know, if we have a good manager, he had the practice plan and, and he was putting the number of minutes up. Now, sometimes we we didn't have, you know, if we didn't have a manager, we would just put a, a time up on it and we knew, you know, how long we were going to spend on things. So 
Um, a typical practice plan would be, um, you know, we're going to we're going to do warm up uh, like, uh, you know, a, a, we call it a dynamic stretching. So we had at least two different dynamic stretching things that we did. Um, and, and some years we had three. Um, and then we will we'll do something with uh, with ball handling and passing. Um, and then we do usually do something with form shooting that's going to lead right into like a competitive shooting drill, whether that's individual competitive or a team competitive drill. Um, and then we do, uh, we usually did some type of like five on zero transition. Um, you know, we were, we, we tried to do a lot of things where we flowed right into our, uh, offense out of transition, but also it might involve, um, you know, we might have like five sets that we're going to go with just five on zero. And then usually there's a, there's a, a defensive breakdown, um, usually some individual defensive stuff. Um, and then it leads into team stuff, um, you know, shell drill, uh, those kind of things. Um, and then, and then kind of after that was, was our offensive segment. And, and usually, uh, you know, we got into, um, the five on five in the, in the last third of the practice. So most of the five on five we did was what we called down back downs. You know, we would start, you know, with half court offense, make a transition to the other end and transition back because we just felt that. You know, basketball is a game of transition. Um, so that's usually and then we would just flip it. You know, so if we had, you know, blue, blue and gold, blue would be on offense. The gold's going to transition on offense. The other end, blue's going to be back. And then then we would flip it around so we could do, you know, our motion offense. We could do our sets out of that. Um, and then probably the the one of the best things we did, um, probably the last seven, eight years of uh, of. Um, my coaching career is, is we, we try to do special situations almost every day. So, so one of the things um, I think I got this from the, um, the women's coach at uh, uh, Louisville. I think he had like cards maybe that he drew. I'm not sure. Um, But, but we also, one year that we went to uh, Worcester, I think it was Worcester camp. They had a, a special situations tournament. So they had a whole like booklet of uh, special situations. So I ended up and took that and added to it. So we had like a, a sheet that had like 50 different situations on it. And and what I would try to do is is pick like anywhere from two to four of those um, to try to end it at a practice every day. Um, so it could be, you know, whatever you're could be like last second plays. It could be that you're you're down four with a minute to go. Um, and and what we we did with that was, you know, I would usually assign one of my assistants to each of the teams, but but it became more of the players. I didn't have our coaches like coach it a lot, um, but it became more of the players. You know, here's your situation. What are you going to do? So what happened out of that was, you know, you would some, you know, they would do something. You're like, well, why? You, you would stop, you know, at the end of it, you would be like, why did you, why didn't you call timeout or, you know, something like that. And so the the thing I think we got out of it, one, it really made your players think at, at the end of practice. Number two was, you know, you know, they, these are game-like situations. So sometimes you would get in games and, you know, be the end of the quarter, whatever it would be, and kids would be like, hey, man, this is, we know what we're running. Um, and we didn't even have to call it. So that, that's probably one of the best things that we did. And then, Typically, we try to end practice with with something, you know, uh, 
you know, positive. And, and a lot of times that involved like a free throw game, but it was, it was pretty much scripted that way pretty much every day. Um, not, not a lot of changes. I mean, the, the, the changes that we made was, I mean, we have a, have a, an offensive sheet, a defensive sheet of drills and, um, uh, you know, we tried to, um, do a different drill, but really teaching the same concept just so it doesn't, you know, get stale, um, or boring. So coach, uh, you know, since since you're no longer on the sidelines, you, you brought up special situations. So uh, I was hoping if if you'd be willing to to share one of your special situation secrets with us. One of the special situations that that I've experienced in my career is the up three with 12 seconds on the clock. The opponent has the ball. Are you found in that situation, or are you letting it play out? And why are you making that decision? We- Never, we played it out and never fouled. And then, um, whatever, a couple years ago when I was at the clinic and I forget who talked, they said, you need to get this article. And I forget what the article, who the art, who wrote the article, you might've read it. Um, but it was basically like, you're stupid if you don't, if you don't file. So actually my last year, maybe two years, if we were up three, like, and it got to, like I think our our rule was like if it got to to six seconds, we were fouling. I um, mean, it was mainly because of the analytics that this guy had come across. Prior to that, we, you know, we just we just you know tried to defend the best that we could because we thought that was what we do. But but I finally got convinced. I think my last year or two years that that we were that we were going to foul. But but I think you know the thing you go back to. Um, you know, learning from other coaches um, and you played, you know, you played for Bob Van Kennel. Um, he w- he was the guy that, um, that, you know, we always scrimmaged and was so good with baseline and sideline out of bounds that that, that became really a staple of, of what we did. And, and I will show you a little secret with our baseline out of bounds plays. We had like five out of bound baseline out of bounds plays and they all, they, they were all out of the, well, Almost all of them, maybe except one, were out of the same the same look, um, and we just called it our Villanova series because we stole all the stuff from we stole most of them from Villanova, and so so we also did a thing we had a name for them, and we had a we had a number, um, and then we would also go by the clock. Um, I forget who it was. Somebody told me that Randy Montgomery, they would go by the clock, like what what the second was on the clock. So. So like our five out of bounds plays, we would have like whatever zero one was this, two three was this, uh, four five was this, so forth. So even even like in practice, if we were going you know blue against gold, um, coaches could coaches could like finagle the number like okay, um, I'm going to say a, a three digit number and the second number is is the number we're going by. Um, and then during games, you know, we could we would say, hey, we're going by the clock, we're going by a number, we're going by the name of a play. Um, and it was kind of baffling because uh, David Sheldon had an assistant named Dane Kennedy that for like three years he couldn't figure it out. And then finally he said, I, he goes, I figured it out. He goes, I, I know what you're doing. Um, so th- so that was kind of a game that, you know, but but our kids, our kids kind of enjoyed that, too. But it was also a way that. You know, as, as you scout that um, you're always trying to pick up like how somebody calls something. So the big change we made, we tried to do everything out of the same look. 
um, and then just had different, you know, a different way to call um, different plays. Well, Coach, this has been great. And, um, you know, we got one more question for you. But before we get to that, uh, we just want to thank you for coming on the show tonight, uh, spending some time with us and, and being our first guest on the Holding Court podcast. Thanks. Talk about things you missed. One of the things you miss is, is talking about basketball. So this, is, this has been great for me. Well, Coach, uh, as the executive director and the leader of the Ohio High School Basketball Coaches Association, you know, it's August. um, Basketball season is is just right around the corner here. And just kind of wondering, you know, what what message or advice would you like to share with with any of the coaches listening here as they get ready for the upcoming season? I mean, I think that the the thing you got to remember is, is, you know, this is kind of coach speaking away, but, you know, every 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 season's a a journey. And, um, you know, it's it, I, the, the one thing, again, and I can't remember a coach that said this early in, in, in my coaching career, but but um, he mentioned about that that he and, I, and I'm not sure if it was a college coach or a high school coach, but he mentioned about he wanted to make make each player's experience the best experience that they could have, you know, in playing high school basketball. And so um, that always kind of stuck with me was like, um, you know, I was going to try to prepare our kids the best that we could. We were going to try to do, um, you know, we were going to try to look the best we could. We were going to, you know, try to have the best practice gear that we could have um, and and try to do all those little nuances. I mean, um, you know, we, you know, I tried to spend a lot of time just, I mean, every year kind of sounded stupid, but, you know, before the season, I would. I would go in and like clean and disinfect our locker room. And, you know, when I first started coaching, you know, we shared a locker room with the football team. So, you know, when football season ended, uh, you know, that Friday night, that Saturday morning, I was up there like spraying stuff. And I don't know how many different times I painted like locker room, the lock, I think probably three times I painted like the lockers, painted like the locker room floor just to make that experience special. And I think that's, that's the one thing is, is I found out as I've gotten out a, I mean, 36 years, you can't remember a lot. Of, uh, I mean, remember everything. But it's interesting when you talk to players that some of the stuff that they remember um, that that's made a difference for them with what what they've done. And you're like, I would have never even thought about that. So I guess that's that's one of the biggest things as you as a coach starts this season is that you uh, you really don't know uh, the impact that you have on kids many times until five or six years at after they're out of, out of school. So um, I guess the, the big thing is try to make that, that influence as, as a positive influence as you can. Um, I, I guess that would be the, the biggest suggestion. And, you know, there's going to be frustrations with what you do. Um, but in the end, uh, I think if you show kids that you really care about them, um, they're going to really show that they care about you and, and they're going to play hard for you and do the things that you want them to do. Thanks for listening to Holding Court, presented by the Ohio High School Basketball Coaches Association. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, keep up with us on Twitter and Facebook at OhioBKCoaches, on Instagram at OHSBCA1947, and online at www.oh.nhsbca.org. Until next time.